morning. We're going to turn to God's word now. If you'd like to turn to Lamentations chapter 4. In the church Bibles, you'll find that on page 827. Lamentations 4. How the gold has lost its luster, the fine gold become dull. The sacred gems are scattered at the head of every street. How the precious sons of Zion, once worth their weight in gold, are now considered as pots of clay, the work of a potter's hands. Even jackals offer their breasts to nurse their young, but my people have become heartless like ostriches in the desert. Because of thirst, the infant's tongue sticks to the roof of its mouth. The children beg for bread, but no one gives it to them. Those who once ate delicacies are destitute in the streets. Those nurtured in purple now lie, in, lie on ash heaps. The punishment of my people is greater than that of Sodom, which was overthrown in a moment without a hand turned to help her. Their princes were brighter than snow and whiter than milk, their bodies more ruddy than rubies, their appearance like sapphires. But now they are blacker than soot, they are not recognized in the streets, their skin has shriveled on their bones, it has become as dry as a stick. Those killed by the sword are better off than those who die of famine, racked with hunger, they waste away for lack of food from the field. With their own hands, compassionate women have cooked their own children who became their food when my people were destroyed. The Lord has given full vent to his wrath. He has poured out his fierce anger. He kindled a fire in Zion that consumed her foundations. The kings of the earth did not believe, nor did any of the world's people, that enemies and foes could enter the gates of Jerusalem. But it happened because of the sins of her prophets and the iniquities of her priests who shed within her the blood of the righteous. Now they grope through the streets like men who are blind. They are so defiled with blood that no one dares to touch their garments. Go away, you're unclean, men cry to them. Away, away, don't touch us. When they flee and wander about, people among the nations say, They can stay here no longer. The Lord himself has scattered them. He no longer watches over them. The priests are shown no honor, the elders no favor. Moreover, our eyes failed, looking in vain for help. From our towers we watched for a nation that could not save us. Men stalked us at every step, so we could not walk in our streets Our end was near, our days were numbered, for our end had come. Our pursuers were swifter than eagles in the sky. They chased us over the mountains and lay in wait for us in the desert. The Lord's anointed, our very life breath, was caught in their traps. We thought that under his shadow we would live among the nations. Rejoice and be glad, O daughter of Edom. You who live in the land of us, but to you also the cup will be passed. You will be drunk and stripped naked. O daughter of Zion, your punishment will end. He will not prolong your exile. 
But, O daughter of Edom, he will punish your sin and expose your wickedness. You'll probably be relieved to know that this is almost the last sermon, Lamentations. Just a quick summary for those who might be uh, visiting. We um, engaged in this about a month ago now, and we're nearing the end. And just to give some headings uh, that will summarize each chapter. First of all, the city speaks, and what what does the city say? It is lonely and groaning or sighing. Then chapter 2, the Lord speaks, and a picture of the Lord as the judge who is judging his people for their sinfulness. When you get to the third chapter, you find the prophet, Jeremiah, who is the author of the book of Lamentations. He speaks and he is broken, and of all things so embarrassing, he is crying. One of the things that we said was, we live in a culture where big boys don't cry. Well, they did then, and I guess we should now. We come to the fourth, uh, the penultimate one, and it is possessions speak. Possessions speak. That's for sure. And the heading is empty and unsatisfying. I don't think most of us believe that. Possessions speak They are empty and unsatisfying. So this fourth dirge, that's what it is, a dirge focuses on the insecurity of wealth as a culture and as a way of life. And particularly for a very religious people who, when the chips are down, would have security in their possessions, not the Lord. They believed... That their, that their protection comes from their possessions. And that may well be a word in season for us this morning as we think of uh, the issue of global finance and how people feel that they have been uh, devastated by losing their pension and savings and all that sort of issue and work and jobs and the demonizing of bankers. Somebody's to blame and for sure it's not me. That is our culture. So to summarize all of that, what we have is one proverb, and it is, and I I hope that um, this will help you to put it into memory. If you think of a baker's dozen, a baker's dozen is 13, take one off, 12, Proverbs 13, 12, hope deferred makes the heart sick, a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. There's the sentence, hope deferred, it makes the heart sick. But, and then the pivotal point in that uh, pithy proverb, A longing fulfilled is the tree of life. And here you have both together, like on the scale. The one seems to be outweighing the other. Deferred is something long drawn out. Something long drawn out. So, let's pose a question. What happens when the bottom falls out of our lives? when we thought we were so secure and had a firm foundation of finance or health or family, as we thought. And then it is calamitous. What do we do? How do we cope? How do we survive? How do we survive from financial loss? Or an unwanted divorce, particularly with young children. 
or the death of a loved one, an untimely death. All death is untimely, but particularly when one is so young. Or an intense sense of injustice. You need to have a clear lament, which you will see in the course of this sermon, which is positive and healthy, and one that will help you through when these things happen. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. For example, we need hope when we're trapped in a a tunnel of misery and despair. Hope points to light the other end. Perhaps when we're overworked and exhausted, hope gives us fresh energy. When we're discouraged, hope lifts our spirits. And when we're tempted to give up, hope keeps us going. Hope deferred. It makes the heart sick or sink within us. A longing fulfilled is a tree of life, new beginning of fruitfulness. Well, if you put all these feelings together, they could be summarized in three ways. The first would be this, fear. Like the robin that's trapped in the greenhouse. Real, tangible fear. Fear. An incredible sense of panic like a frightened bird that can overpower you. It can overpower your ability to think clearly. To relate decisively and to act appropriately. Fear can do all of those things to us. And the next emotion is insecurity. Within that we are not sure. We've lost our our bearing. With insecurity we become anxious and apprehensive. And a feeling that we can't cope. And the last one and I think these are linked, is that there's a sense of loneliness. It's quite nice to be alone sometimes, but loneliness is a haunting thing. In company, in our family, in our church, there can be a, a sense of loneliness, an awful sense of abandonment, which leads us to believe that no one can help us. These emotions are not new. But they are woven together in these enigmatic laments that you have during the fall of Jerusalem and the children of Israel banished to Babylon. Isaiah saw the Jews in this context and in the light of their fear, you, you, you may want to turn to it, but if not, uh, let me, in, in Isaiah 43, just read this to you, so that you see into that context, this is what the prophet Isaiah says, Isaiah 43, page 7 to 8 in the church Bible. But now this is what the Lord says, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you, I have summoned you by name, you are mine. Don't forget this is in the context now that they are banished in exile. And so, not if When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. 
And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior, and so on. Here is the Lord saying to the Jewish people that instead of their fear, there would come security. God had promised to be with them. And whatever they experience, they would have his company, his presence. Well, in the light of that introduction then, um, just two things that, that we have. And the clock has stopped. What a luxury. And so I'm, that's terrible thing to, you, you, I'm reminded of a story of somebody who was invited to church the first time and he didn't know anything about church. And he, it, was, it was like a sort of a friend who was saying, I'll tell you as we go along what you have to do, you know, how you turn to the Bible, what the numbers are and sort of thing, the hymns, the way you sit down and how you respond. And um, he kept asking in the course of the service about all sorts of things. And then when the pastor took his watch off and put it there. He said, what does that mean? He says, nothing at all. I thought that was quite, that's a good story. That, that will mean something. Except it's upside down, sorry. It is not terrible. Right, it will mean something, trust me. Um, here we go, we've got two things. The first is this bitter contrast, as you have it in the first 13 verses, and then the rest of the chapter uh, verses 14 to 22, bewildering consequences. Bitter contrasts. Between this period, 588 and 586 BC, you have Israel experienced her darkest hour. It was the fall of Jerusalem. And it's not just a pretty building or not just a lovely church, but everything they believed in was the embodiment of that place where God lived, where they went to speak to God. And with the temple went their faith. It's wrong thinking, but that's how it was. And so now they feel that God has abandoned them. Jerusalem was besieged by the Babylonian army, cutting off the supplies, as you have it in um, Lamentations. If you come back to Lamentations, apart from one cross-reference, we'll stay here. So if you want to keep your Bible open, that would be good. Um, in verses 4 and 5, this is what you, you have. Because of the thirst, the infant's tongue sticks to the roof of its mouth. The children beg for bread, but no one gives it to them. There is hunger stalking the city and famine. And it was easy for the Babylonian army. All they did was to cut off the supplies and wait. And time was in their hand. And when the city fell, those who were still alive were exiled to Babylon, particularly the aristocracy and the intelligentsia of Jerusalem. But not so the religious people whom the people marginalized as of no consequence, as you will see. We'll have a little picture of Babylon in a moment, but there's one profound emotion here and it is this, if only, it's one of great regret. Jeremiah had forewarned of impending judgment, yet they refused and they rebelled. It would be a bit like this today, if we have a parallel, you say, yes, look at, look at Zimbabwe. 
Look at them printing money that is useless. And look at the, 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 the breakdown of law and order and the injustice and the needy who cry and there's none to help, no one to intervene. Yes, that sort of thing happens out there, but it never happens here. Look at our history. Look at our privileges. Look where we are. If we think like that, we are thinking against the history of mankind, much less the judgment of God. We're all right. And there is profound regret. How, how wrong could we be? Now look at these series of contrasts, which is very interesting. First of all, and how relevant is this? The city wealth, the big movers and shakers, it's tarnished like unwanted litter. You can see in Zimbabwe they say that the, the currency is of no value. Trillion dollars of Zimbabwe are worth about 10 pence or something like that, if that. So what do you have here? Look at the picture, verses 1 and 2. How the gold has lost its luster. The fine gold become dull. The sacred gems are scattered at the head of every street, like the refuse that blows in the wind. Isn't that amazing? The very thing that was their hope for the future is now worthless. A piece of bread could buy a bag of gold, but there is no bread. There is no bread. So much for city wealth. And then, secondly, look at the leaders. Verses 7 to 8. From riches to rags, from great privilege to impoverishment. Do you see these pictures that you have? The princes were brighter than snow, whiter than milk, their bodies more ruddy than rubies, their appearance like sapphires. But, what a contrast, they are blacker than soot, they are not recognized in the streets, their skin has shriveled, their bones have become like a dry stick. Ma massive contrast. So the leaders, from their glory to their shame, from their plenty to their want. And then the city itself. The city. Verses 12 to 13, you have another picture here. The kings of the earth did not believe. Nor did any of the world's people. Apply it, if you like, even today to however sincere to um, the G20. How many people would really think about God at all? That enemies and foes could enter the gates of Jerusalem. But it happened. The unthinkable happened. Verse 13. It happened because of the sins of her prophets. So you move up now. Not the sins of the people, but the sins of the leaders. And, and as they used to say in, in the 15th century, like priests, like people. If the priests can do it, we can do it. And what are they like? Verse 14, now they grope through the streets. These are the leaders. Like men who are blind. The blind leading the blind. The dictum, isn't it? In the land of the blind, the one-eyed man is king. But there aren't any. They're all blind. Such is the judgment of God. They are so defiled with blood that no one dares to touch their garments. And so they say, verse 15, go away, you are unclean. 
There's a hint there that it's like leprosy, where the lepers are to ring a bell and say, unclean, unclean. What an indictment on the city and the leaders and the movers and shakers. It's a complete turnaround, isn't it? What Jeremiah had prophesied had come true. The impregnable city, so safe, with all of its culture and all of its prophetic messages, is razed to the ground and burnt. And a final contrast, just the last one, the last contrast. These church leaders, they are now completely marginalized. And people say, go away. Go away. Just um, turn back to the book of Jeremiah. Uh, it's just a few pages. And you'll come to uh, Jeremiah chapter 6. This is what he'd said before this had happened. Let's have a little look. There are so many references here. And, uh, and we need to keep going in the series. But this would be interesting. Jeremiah chapter 6 and verse 14. What, what, was, what was he saying? If we, if we go uh, back to some of his um, prophetic words. He's speaking about um, the leaders. And he says this. From the least to the greatest, all are greedy for gain. Every man's got his price. Especially the church leaders. Prophets and priests alike all practice deceit. Not something. And this is what they do. They dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious. Here is a saturating soul. And they put a band-aid on it. They say, peace, peace, when there is no peace. We want to hear peace, of course. But let's be sure that we can give peace. And you read on some of these very telling prophetic words. And the second heading is this. Well, those are the bitter contrasts which leave a legacy of regret. And now there's a, there are the, the bewildering consequences. There are always consequences, but now they are bewildering and disturbing. And there's one emotion, and that is resentment. Resentment can grip people's lives. What is it like? Let's have a picture of it. And this is our cross-reference. Turn to Psalm 137. Uh, you have Boney M to help you uh, when it comes to this song. You could almost sing it, couldn't you? But actually it is a lament. It's been tarted up by modern people, but there it is. Here now is a picture of the church. And it's a rather pitiful, pathetic picture of the church that's lost its identity, its glory, its purpose, its distinctiveness. So, they've been taken to Babylon. There they are. Psalm 137. By the rivers of Babylon we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. If only we had believed the word of the Lord. And bear in mind they're going to be there for 70 years. And here it is. On the poplars we hung our harps. For there our captors asked us for songs. You are a singing people. And our tormentors demanded songs of joy. 
They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. You're a believer? Come on. And here it is. How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem. Now they're being sentimental. But it's too late. It's too late. If I forget you, O Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill that would play the, the, the melodious harp. If I do not remember you, if I do not consider Jerusalem my highest joy. Yeah, that's all right. Now, why didn't they think it then? How is it that we only miss the water when the well is dry? Something quite serious about it, isn't it? And their resentment, and this is quite a terrible thing to read in the Bible, O daughter of Babylon, doomed to destruction, happy is he who repays you for what you've done to us. He who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. You say, is that in the Bible? Sadly it is. It's a very poignant picture, isn't it? Of a church that has lost its identity, lost its message, and lost its vision. It is a bewildering consequence. And that could well be a picture of the church today. When people say to us, tell me, give me a reason for the hope that you have within you. Why do you go to church? Why do you believe? Why are you trusting when all these things are happening? I hope we have something to say. Or would you say, well, how can I when my life has fallen apart? See, see the point, don't you? That's, that is surely the application. So let's just look at two things as we try to, to round this off, looking at verses 14 to 22. Yes, so you have the regrets, and now you have pent-up resentment, as in Psalm 137. Marginalized, humiliated, and so on. And in verses 14 to 16, the absence of leadership. Notice now, not the absence of leaders. There are leaders, but they are blind. There are prophets, but they are corrupt. There are priests, but they are compromised. They have plenty of leaders, but they have no leadership. They have no leadership. Guide blind. And then the idea of leprosy, which of course is, the, is seen as the judgment of God. It was a wrong way of thinking about that skin disease, but nevertheless, that's how they thought then. So the leaders became unapproachable and untouchable. How do people connect with church leaders today? Is there a sort of a, a cultural leprosy? So they are helplessly, hopelessly out of touch with the society in which they serve. Plenty of leaders, but no leadership. Plenty of religion, but no grace. Do you see why it is such a lament? And then the last is this, the absence of comfort. You remember the way that Isaiah speaks to the people. Comfort, comfort my people. Speak tenderly to her and cry unto her. But there's none of that here yet. The absence of comfort. And so in verse 17, look, moreover, our eyes failed for looking in vain for help. Where are we going to get our help from? 
the meeting of the G20 nations, our investments, the society in which we live, the people whom we trust, the towers we watched for a nation that could not save us. Men stalked us at every step, people who are harassed so we could not walk in our streets. Our end was near, our days were numbered, for our end has come. And in verse 20, the Lord's anointed, the Lord's anointed, the Lord's promise, our very breath was caught in their trap. We thought that under his shadow we would live among the nations. He has left us and abandoned us. The absence of comfort. And the Jewish people looked to the nations and there was no help. And they failed to see that it was God who was judging them, punishing them, refining them because of their sin. And so the book of Hebrews makes this reference say, yes, in the New Testament, the same God, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Helpless, hopeless. So what's the final application? When our world falls apart, whether it's personal, whether it's family, community, national, whatever, when our world falls apart, family, marriage, work, health, church. Or if you like, come back to where we started. When our hope is deferred, when our hope is deferred, it's long and drawn out. What are we going to do? To whom will we look? People of faith have a wonderful challenge and an opportunity to demonstrate the power of God. So let me remind you that these laments, difficult though they are, and I think you've been very courageous in staying, staying with us on, on this series, but you see, think about it like this that laments are in themselves essentially authentic expressions of faith. And they have two ingredients. They are authentic expressions of faith which are honest in describing life, life as it is, not life as you want it to be. Life as it is often experienced. And how is that? Not always. It's hard. It can be lonely. It can be hurtful and it can be charged with anger, often. You need a good, healthy lament to prevent you becoming disillusioned. What you have then in a lament, and I'm sure that you'll have cause this week to use it, is this. A remarkable combination of two ingredients. Honesty and dialogue. Let me put it to you like this. Think, stay with me on this because it's so important. Frequently, not always, frequently we are honest but unable to talk or to dialogue. Frequently we are honest but we are unable to express it. Or conversely, the opposite, 
We are politely talkative, dialogical, if you like, but unable to be honest. And we never tell people how it really is. We could go through life like that. And the genius of a lament is it enables us to take these two things, not an either or, honesty and dialogue, and work it through so that we're the better for it. Lamentations in Israel are both honesty and dialogue. Precisely the combination resulted in joy and newness and hope that were the forerunners for the resurrection itself. And out of the darkness comes light. And of course, you may not appreciate perhaps, but many of the psalms that we sing find their roots in this historic period. How can we sing the Lord's song? We have no temple, we have no place. Yes, but you have a God who's with you, even though you are denying it. Stop living in denial. Have a healthy lament and experience joy unspeakable and full of glory and get on with life. Why should our lives be characterized by vain regrets of the past or resentment in the present? That's the whole point, I think, of these laments. Behind the pain of our calamities is the faithful presence of God. I am with you, he says, and I will be. And there's also the faithful providence of God. I will provide for you. Not always what you want, but for sure what you need for the journey. And I will bless you. And what should our response be? Not to be stiff-necked like the children of Israel who knew it all, but actually knew nothing. Come back to God. Talk to Him honestly. Trust Him. Thank Him for his compassions that are new every morning and his faithfulness, even though we don't deserve it, is to us. The haunting ghosts of vain regret should haunt our souls no more. Why? Because we use a healthy lament and we stop pretending and we face ourselves and we face the God who deals with, in, with, with us in ways we find hard to accept. And we trust him. And the hope that is deferred, though it makes our heart sink and sick, is accompanied by a longing that is fulfilled. And it is a tree of life. And it is symbolic of new beginnings, new fruitfulness, new blessings.